let's develop our motivation. And I was thinking recently that we often see overcoming anger as one type of uh, practice and then recognizing the kind of kindness of sentient beings as another kind of practice, you know, different meditation topics. But they're very much uh, related because we can't, as long as our mind is overcome by anger and feelings of frustration and resentment because we feel entitled to something that we're not getting, as long as those feelings abound in our mind, uh, there's no way we can see the kindness of sentient beings. We're completely blocked from seeing it because the mind is, is too wrapped up in me, I, my, and mine, too wrapped up in the self-centered thought about me and my trials and tribulations. And when the mind is focused so intensely like that, uh, there's no way to even consider others' kindness. So we get ourselves completely stuck when we allow our minds to get overwhelmed by resentment and jealousy and such. Because those minds not only create non-virtue, but they block us from creating virtue. They block us from developing the qualities of the path. So a new habit to cultivate in the mind is seeing the disadvantages of that self-centered mind that feels entitled to things, that isn't getting what it wants, that is resentful because of it. To really uh, think deeply about the defects of that mind. That's one part. And then the second part is, uh, you know, not only seeing the faults of that mind, but seeing how that mind is, uh, has nothing to do with reality. That the world is not out to get us. It is not full of evil people who are intent on demolishing our every happiness. And so to see not only the disadvantages of that resentful mind, but also how false it is, how erroneous it is, how things do not exist that way at all. And when we can see those two things, then letting go of it becomes much easier and having released that mind, then it becomes so much easier to think of the kindness of others.
And when we spend time thinking about the kindness of others, our mind automatically becomes happy. We become grateful. We want to repay that kindness. And so love, compassion, and bodhicitta follow upon that. Let's generate that bodhicitta motivation based on seeing the kindness of others and also their experiences of dukkha. So yesterday, uh, when Venerable Jigme and I were driving to the doctor, where is she, by the way? Is she downstairs? Huh? She's watching from her room. Okay. Um, yeah, we started talking about the president. And when I talk to him now, I'm talk about him now, I'm not talking in a political way. It's because he is... His life is such an excellent example of certain aspects of the Dharma that I couldn't make up a better example to tell you, okay? But we were talking about, you know, how in one lifetime he must have created, uh, through generosity, the causes to have wealth, yeah, and also to lose it, and uh, created the cause to have power, yeah, and fame, and yet, uh, having achieved all these things that in the world people think are wonderful and a sign of success, actually, he's an amazingly unhappy person. Now, when you listen uh, to what he says in his press reports or interviews, and best yet, the rallies that he holds, um, every chance he gets, he rails against how mean people are to him. And how he hasn't done anything wrong, He's done everything right, and yet people falsely accuse him. Yeah, they they make up lies that the Russians are uh, supporting his campaign, you know, which they are. But um, you know, he he says 
you know, that it just, I mean, Hillary's come up again. This is four years later. Who's thinking of Hillary's emails now? But, you know, and, and who's thinking of what Comey did now? But still, his uh, sense of resentment is so strong that he can't let go of those things, you know, even though he got the presidency, you know, pressuring his attorney general to to bring uh, charges, to make an investigation and then bring charges against his political enemies from four years ago. Yeah? And when you think about that, I mean, so unhappy that things for that long of a time ago, which he already succeeded in clobbering, and he already got what he wanted, he cannot let go of. So his mind has worldly things that are the mark of success, at least temporarily right now. But the mind can't even enjoy them. And the mind cannot see the kindness of others. Because when he looks around, everybody, except his few allies and his family members, everybody else he sees as an enemy. Yeah? Who is not respecting him, not doing what he wants and so on. So when we were talking about all this in terms of karma, you know, it applies to our lives too. And when we think about it in terms of how the mind works, it applies to us too. Because we may have really good situations, but we, because of our own anger, resentment, jealousy, we can't even enjoy enjoy the good situation we have. We can't see the goodness in other people. We always feel, you know, like suspicious. I better look out because who knows what these people are going to do to me next. And therefore aggressive to try and, you know, punish them or prevent them from doing the things that he doesn't like. And, and all of this winds up, you know, right now to be incredible unhappiness and the creation of so much negative karma, which is going to actually bring more suffering in the future. So I'm telling this so because there's an analogy with our lives. We may not have what most people ha- call worldly success, yeah? But we have a comfortable life, even as renunciants. And yet, can we even enjoy what we have? Or is our mind so much in the habit of uh, feeling left out, feeling ignored, feeling suspicious of other people's motivations, um, and so on, that we're so 
preoccupied with that, that we can't enjoy what we have, and we're blocked from developing a virtuous mind. Because like in the, med- in the motivation that we developed, I mean, when you really look at your mind, it's impossible to, to develop bodhicitta, let alone, you know, think about the kindness of other sentient beings when our mind is habituated with that kind of negativity. Yeah? And it's a sad situation, isn't it? It's sad. It's sad when we're like that. And it's sad when you see somebody who has the worldly success that he has. Who could do so much good with that worldly success if his mind could see kindness. Yeah? And if his mind could relax and be generous. Because they talk, you know, when they, uh, in the section on karma and the Lamrim, about different conditions that are kind of make a precious human life even better. And one of them is you know, to be born with this kind of worldly wealth and fame. And Atisha is often used as an example of that because he was a prince in Bengal. And when he decided to renounce the kingdom and, you know, his inheritance and all, everybody was shocked and horrified. But it really made them think, why would somebody do that? And the same thing with the Buddha, you know, very comfortable, wonderful, worldly life, but he renounced. And that really was a spark making so many people, even down to us today, think, why did he do that? Yeah. And so because of of the fame and worldly success, has that kind of influence if you have a certain kind of mind that can make use of it. If you don't, then those kind of qualities that, you know, become the source of pain and the source of creating amazing negative karma. So here is another example of how our attitude, yeah, our mind is the source of our happiness and pain. Yeah. It's it's really it comes down to the mind. Yesterday when I was at the doctor asking him questions about my upcoming hip surgery, and uh he, I was asking him about, you know, do I have to get put totally under or could I have an epidural or, or whatever. And he told the story of one woman who came into his office who uh, was going to have a hip replacement surgery, like I'm going to do. And uh, her son, she said her son had died from an overdose of narcotics. And so she did not want anesthesia, you know, or the minimum of anesthesia. And she did not want narcotic painkillers after the surgery. 
So this doctor's quite good, you know. I think she needed some anesthesia. I mean, she must have had a, an epidural or a spinal or something like that. Um, but no narcotic painkillers afterwards, which is amazing because most people take that. And, uh, and then he made the comment, and this is a doctor who's not a Buddhist, yeah, he said, um, you could see it was her mind. The mind makes the total difference when you have these surgeries. If your mind, you know, has a, an optimistic attitude, then you don't have as much pain and things go much better. If you have a really negative attitude, then, you know, you have a horrible experience. So he could see that right there in his medical practice. So, you know, there we can see how it affects our body, but, you know, our attitude affects really all aspects of our life. Mm -hmm. So when we're uh, unhappy and miserable, instead of blaming outside, you know, as Dharma practitioners, we have a secret, which is look at the mind, change the mind. Yeah? Change the attitude of the mind. Change the way we're interpreting and seeing uh, the situation. So, we'll continue with karma now. And the topic of karma relates to what I've just been talking about. Because one of the karmic results is to do the same action again and again. Yeah? So if we do the same action and again and again, we're, we're creating more and more negative karma. But also, if we reinforce the various afflictions that we have, yeah, and make the seeds of the afflictions, this is not the seeds of karma, but the seeds of the afflictions stronger, then the afflictions get stronger. They get more uh, ingrained in the mind. And Geshe Tapke referred to this in his teachings. Remember when he was uh, talking about increasing the potency of the ignorance because we have it again and again? So it's like that with the other afflictions as well. So this is the whole thing of habituation. If we habituate ourselves with an affliction, we plant those seeds deeper. If we uh, habituate ourselves with certain karmic actions, we intensify those, those karmic, you know, those karmic seeds. And then the same goes in terms of virtue. If we um, water the seeds of virtue, they're going to grow. If we water the, the seeds of kind actions, generous actions, you know, the, uh, being of help and service to others, then those seeds are going to uh, deepen and get reinforced in intensity. Um, so it's, it's up to us. So last 
week we were uh, talking about karma and um, we're talking about how karma can be damaged, how negative karma can be damaged when we do purification, yeah, and how virtuous karma can be damaged if we uh, get angry or have wrong views. And then we talked about, um, I'll reread the last paragraph we did. Um, in addition to anger and wrong views, in the compendium of training, Shikshashimucha, Shanti Deva points out other actions that damage the virtues of one following the Bodhisattva path. Okay, so again, remembering these is very good because it helps us. It's telling us how to avoid certain situations or certain mental states. Okay, so staying with householders who have strong attachment to material possessions and entertainment. So if you stay with householders like that, what are you going to start doing? Yeah? Watching TV, going to the movies, going to fancy places to eat, taking interest in all sorts of material possessions that... Gee, if I weren't a monastic, I could go out and buy that. I could have that. Or maybe I can hint to somebody how to give it to me. Or, you know, something like that. Okay, so that's one thing. Boasting about spiritual attainments we do not have. That one's nasty. That's the one that that breaks uh, our root uh, precepts. Yeah, and you're done as a monastic if you do that. And when you think about it, it's it's not just because it's unfair to the laity, you know, because in the situation in which this happened in our precepts, there was a famine, and so the monastics lied about their spiritual attainments so that the lay people would give them food. But what is so insidious about that action is not just that they got food from it, but that they manipulated the faith of the lay people. They took advantage of the sincere respect and faith that the laity had in the three jewels, and they used it for personal worldly gain. And when you think about that, that's just so... Despicable is the word that comes to my mind because it so much betrays the trust of the lay people. Because when the lay people give us food or whatever, it's because they trust us. And if we misuse that trust, um, to me, it's like, boy, the karmic uh, result of that is going to be pretty bad. Okay, another one is abandoning the Dharma by neglecting the Buddha Dharma and making up our own version of the Buddhist teachings. So this is one of the root precepts in the Bodhisattva ethical code. Yeah, so you, you know, you kind of neglect the Buddha Dharma and you make up your own version, but you pass it off as the Buddha's teachings. You, you say, oh, the Buddha taught this, but actually 
It's your made-up concoction. So you're using the name of the Buddha to sell your own spiritual tradition. It's kind of like, um, what do they call that in business when you take somebody else's brand name and use it for yourself to market your own goods and thus cheat the original company? Counterfeit? Yeah, like counterfeit advertising or branding. Yeah, something something like that where you're really, uh, yeah, <laughs> quite deceptive. So it's it's kind of like that. You're using the Buddha's good name, but what you're teaching is not what the Buddha taught. And we have to be careful about that nowadays. Because there are people who, with the intention to make the Dharma more culturally appropriate, or not to make the Dharma more culturally appropriate, to make the way we speak and act and the external things more culturally appropriate, they change the Dharma teachings as well. So it's one thing, you know, like His Holiness has said, you know, in the West, instead of, you know, if you don't want to use the long horns and short horns, you can use a piano and a guitar. You know, I mean, it won't be the same, but he said you can use something that's according to your own culture. Yeah. So that kind of thing is okay. I mean, Buddhism has naturally changed in that way as it went from one culture to the other. And that's why the robes are different in the different places and so on. But to change the Dharma teachings, if you change those, then you're obliterating the path to liberation. Because without correct teachings, people cannot practice correctly. And so the results cannot be attained. Yeah. So people can do this, you know, they mean well, so to speak, but they're, they're actually acting in ignorance, and it's, it's very damaging. Yeah. And my feeling is if you want to uh, modify and create something that you think is better, you know, uh, according to your interpretation of the scriptures, uh, then uh, call it a different name. Yeah? Don't call it Buddhism. Call it a different name. Yeah? Okay, another thing. So these actions also impede our progress along the path, even if we do virtuous practices. Studying this text, the Shikshan Samuchaya, as well as Nagarjuna's Compendium of Sutras, which is the Sutra Samuchaya, uh, which also discusses the Bodhisattva path, is very helpful. Okay. So then contemplating how the ripening of karma can be affected by countering uh, countering forces uh, makes us more conscientious. So in uh, Thursday we've been class, we've been studying conscientiousness. So the conscientiousness in turn strengths our mind, strengths 
strengthens our mindfulness and introspective awareness in daily life. So with conscientiousness, we care about our ethical conduct. Yeah, we, we care about creating virtue and abandoning non-virtue. So when we care about it, then our mindfulness of what, you know, to, to focus the mind on virtue, our introspective awareness, which mon- monitors what our body, speech, and mind are doing, uh, these things are going to be more active in our daily life. And that, of course, is going to be quite wonderful because it will uh, prevent us from creating negativity and spur us to create more virtue. Okay, so we become aware that getting angry is completely counterproductive. Okay, and that's so easy to say when we're sitting here in class and we really believe it. But when we're angry, do we think it's counterproductive to be angry? Uh, Yeah, my anger is reasonable, it's good, somebody is overstepping their bounds, they are accusing me of something I didn't do, or criticizing me for something I did do, and so anger is just. Yeah, because I've got to stop them because what they're doing is harmful. That's it. So we have, you know, a whole other part of us that justifies our anger. Do you have that part in you? Can you see it when it arises? Yeah? Says, really? No, be angry. This person deserves it. Yeah? Because if we don't stop them and give them a taste of their own medicine, they're going to harm so many other people. So I'm doing it out of compassion. Now, some people truly do stop somebody who's harmful out of compassion. They don't want others to suffer. But others do it out of revenge. Okay. So we become aware that getting angry is completely counterproductive. This increases our inner strength to set anger aside, just like a person seeing a delicious-looking sweet quickly puts it down upon hearing that it is laced with poison. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Since karma influences our experiences of happiness and suffering, Its ripening strongly influences our feeling aggregate, because feeling aggregate is happy and and suffering experiences, or we could say pleasant, unpleasant, neutral experiences. Although we often discuss karma ripening as the four effects uh, discussed above, the reason we find some results desirable and others not is because of the experiences of happiness or misery they bring us. Okay, so one of the um, experiences uh, concordant with killing, for example, is to have a to have a short life, 
to, uh, you know, people harm us physically or whatever, the medicines don't work. Yeah. So it's not just those things happening, but when those things happen, we experience suffering. Okay. So the way, of course, to, to cut the whole thing of karma in our mind is if we experience those results, yeah, we may suffer, but don't go from suffering to craving and craving more of the pleasant feelings, craving to be free of the negative feelings. Don't go there and then that Use the mind training teachings, yeah, to cut the the chain at that point. The situations we encounter in life, as well as the pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings we experience in them, are related to our previous actions. Okay, so while encountering people who criticize us is due to our destructive karma of harsh speech. Sometimes we hear criticism where there is no criticism. Imagine that. Yeah. Other, we can see other people do that all the time. So many times we're pointing out something to them for their own good sake, and they think we're criticizing us and they get mad at us. But we, we don't uh, do that. We don't see criticism where there is not. When we see criticism, it is there, isn't it? Okay. In this case, when we hear criticism where there is none, I had that happen to me just the other day. What was the situation? Oh, this is an interesting situation. So uh, there's one um, person, one of our supporters, who uh, very frequently asks us to pray for different people. And, uh, and then he very kindly, he's very sweet, he asked some of his other teachers to pray that there's no Newport smelter, because he, he had read about that, you know? And it was really kind and of him to do that. And, you know, he writes to prisoners in the U.S. and really very kind. And so I was under the impression that he likes to make prayers and he likes to pray for people because he was doing that and, you know, requesting us to do that. So um, when he had sent something, I replied and thanked him. And then I thought he would be happy at being asked to pray because he seemed to like praying, yeah, and dedicating for people. Well, I got a response, and he said, you know, he was saying this with due respect, but, but you know, he really thought it was important for me to know that... Uh, uh, it sounded to him like I was demanding that he prayed. And, and he said that one of his teachers uh, said that sometimes Westerners do that uh, to the Tibetan lamas, and they kind of uh, make the request to prayer like, 
for like demands. And so he said, you know, please be careful of this because you were demanding that I, I pray. And I went back and I looked and all I had written was, you know, pre, please pray that so-and-so, you know, this. And, and so it was a situation where my in, intention didn't come across in the correct way with him and he saw it in a totally different way. Okay, so... Um, you know, so at first I was like, why is he saying this? You know, he's criticizing me, but I didn't do anything. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, children, this is, you know, a karmic event. You clearly have criticized other people before. And now some unfair criticism is coming back. And then I realized, you know, in his mind, it wasn't like he, this was a heavy criticism. He actually uh, said he's trying to do it because he cares about me. Yeah. So it, it was an interesting thing to, to see how uh, I could interpret this as, you know, what's this guy criticizing me for? Uh, and write back some nasty email or I could just say, you know, this is a karmic result of criticism I've dished out, and I've certainly dished out plenty. Um, and so just take it. It's not a big thing. Hmm. Okay, so in this case, our feeling of being hurt is due to our misinterpretation of the event. So that's, you know... What he misinterpreted what I meant, and I started out misinterpreting what he meant. As we become more familiar with the practice of mind training, which encourages us to view situations from more positive perspectives, the experience of mental pain declines. And really, that's why the mind training practice, I think, uh, is something to really train the mind in very seriously from the very beginning of our practice. Yeah, because you can learn the four of this, the 20 of that, the 16 of the other thing. And, but if you can't control your mind when things happen that you don't like, then you're really lost. Yeah. In fact, if we practice well, even if people wish to hurt our feelings, we won't feel hurt. Wouldn't that be nice? Even somebody wants to hurt our feelings, we're just like, whatever. Who cares? I mean, when you look at the, all the names that the Chinese government call His Holiness, you know, is His Holiness offended? Oh, not offended at all. So we may find that certain emotions or intentions easily and frequently arise in our minds. This is a result of habits in previous lives. Someone who angers easily has a strong habit with this emotion. Should the anger grow to become physical violence, the physical deed may be related to previous karma, 
since the causally concordant behavioral result of violence is the tendency to do the action again. Okay, so the physical violence or verbal violence is a karmic result. Getting angry again and again is a result of having um, watered the seed of the anger, water, you know, nourish the, the seeds of the afflictions. Some children like to kill insects or torment animals. This is another instance of a causally concordant behavioral effect of killing. Other children naturally help others from a young age, even though their parents do not explicitly teach them. This behavior, too, is a causally concordant behavioral result. In addition, these children were habituated with certain emotions, anger or compassion, for example, in previous lives. So you often see this with children. You know, different tendencies just kind of come out very naturally. And so you can have uh, parents who are really kind and nurturing and look after their children well, but their kids are just furious all the time and get into fights all the time. Yeah? And you can also have families where the, the parents don't. They kind of neglect the kids, but the kids grow up with a real sense of ethical conduct and kindness. You know? So, so much depends on you know, the habits we carry with from previous lives. And, of course, how we think about things in this life. Yeah, you, you really see, you know, kids do not come into this life as blank slates. Yeah? And as teachers, did, did you teach little kids? Kindergarten? Kindergarten, kindergarten through grade nine. Wow. Okay. Yeah, then you, I mean, you can really see at kindergarten level, can't you? Yeah? There's a lot of things that the kids say. Sometimes they say things or do things. And you're wondering, you know, where that came from. Hmm? We can apply our understanding of karma when we watch the news or hear of the good and bad experiences of others. Here we reflect on the types of actions people have done that created the causes for their present pleasurable and miserable experiences. In a natural disaster, many people lose their lives and property. What kind of actions could have caused this? You know, so the fires in California, now raging fires in Colorado, you know, we have people losing their houses. And some people, they put their whole life's investment into their house, and now it's just ashes. So what kind of karma uh, could have created that for that to happen? What do you think? Hmm? Stealing. Stealing, yep. That's it. Yeah, depriving others of their property, then our, we lose our property. Hmm? 
So we may understand this according to karma, but it's very important that we do not blame people when they experience uh, harmful results. Yeah, we should never say, oh, you caused your cancer by the way you were thinking, or you created so much negative karma in your last life that that's why your house burned down. That is not at all skillful, and it just causes so much uh, pain and hurt and confusion in other people's minds. And also, you know, it's the person in the previous life did those actions. The person in this life is experiencing the results. Both of they're different people because they're different lifetimes, but they're the same general eye because they're the same mental continuum. Okay? But it never you know, to, to blame people like that. And you see this sometimes in New Age um, things. Yeah? Oh, if you weren't so angry, angry, you wouldn't have gotten sick. Oh, please, you know, that doesn't help anybody. But for us, reading about seeing things, seeing what people experience in their lives, and then our thinking about what kind of actions they must have done in previous lives, that created that result. That, doing that in our meditation is very, very helpful because we come to understand karma and to respect it more, and then that makes us more conscientious. Okay, And when we say to ourselves, you know, like I said, oh, why am I getting this? Because I've criticized others. We're not blaming ourselves. There's a big difference between blame and accepting responsibility. Okay? So blaming yourself is, oh, yeah, here I go again. I criticize so many people in this life, so many people in my previous life, I can't keep my big mouth shut, so of course I get this kind of result, and, you know, I don't know if I'll ever be able to change it because my, you know, I have so much anger. So that kind of thing, that's blaming yourself. Yeah. Does that do anything good? Does that motivate you to change? Does that help your understanding of cause and effect? No, it does nothing but increase the stock value of the Kleenex company. Yeah, because we cry and we buy more tissues. Okay, but if we say, oh, why am I experiencing that result? Oh, I must have criticized people in the previous life. That makes sense. I criticize people now, I criticize people in previous lives. I don't like this result of getting criticized. Therefore, I'm going to stop creating the cause for it. I accept responsibility for, my, for getting criticized. I accept responsibility for the hurt feelings I had. I'm not blaming the other person. But what I'm going to do is learn from this and not make the same mistake again. Yeah? And if we think like that, you know, 
then we're really breaking that whole karmic thing of, you know, you feel pain, so you get angry, so you feel more pain, so you get more angry. We're breaking that. And we're also deepening our understanding of karma. And having a very firm understanding of karma is really important because when we meditate on emptiness, we have to afterwards be able to establish conventional existence. And conventional existence, you know, or conventional truths are, you know, they're things that are conditioned, most of them. So we, you know, we have to have a very robust understanding of karma and its effects, you know, so that when we realize emptiness, we don't go to the extreme that you see some people doing of saying, well, there's no good and there's no bad. So I can do what I want because there's no good and there's no bad. It's all empty. Okay? So that, you know, a good understanding of cause and effect and really respecting that, that cause and effect functions in our lives. And uh, we can't ignore that fact. Okay, many first uh, responders and neighbors come to the aid of these people who suffer during natural disasters. And there is an outpouring of donations to help them resettle. Okay, what actions cause them to receive this help? Yeah, being generous. Right, and having helped others who were in similar situations. Yeah, and protecting others' property from harm. Yeah. So here's one situation where the people lost their home, but they were the recipient of so much kindness. So you have one part of the situation caused by negative karma and another part of the situation caused by positive karma. Yeah? So we can't just say, oh, everything is bad. Yeah? What will be the long-term results for people who offer aid? Good, having good conditions? Yeah, having affluence, having good conditions. Probably having many friends. Yeah. Okay. So this is a very practical way to contemplate karma and apply our understanding to our own lives and to what we see around us. Yeah, it really helps us to understand the world around us when we think about karma. When doing this, as noted above, do not fall into a wrong understanding of karma and its effects by thinking that others deserve to suffer or thinking that they're morally inferior because they are suffering. Yeah. So why are these two things wrong understandings? Because that's not who a person is. That same person has also created so much virtue. Yeah? And 
they've created all sorts of karma. And they have the Buddha nature. And they've been kind to us. So how can we say they deserve to suffer? Yeah, saying somebody deserves to suffer sounds like we rejoice in their suffering. Yeah, oh, he got it, good. Yeah, what kind of mind is that on our part? You know, or considering people more morally inferior, isn't that a bit arrogant? You know, do we never create any negative karma? And who knows what karmic seeds are on our mind stream? How can we, you know, go around thinking that we're morally superior to anybody? You know, that's totally wrong understanding. Yeah. And similarly, uh, when somebody is experiencing suffering, saying, well, I won't help you because that's interfering with your karma. You created the karma for this to happen. You created the karma to suffer. So I'm going to let you suffer because if I help you, then I'm interrupting you experiencing uh, the result of your karma. You know, or I'm interrupting you purifying your karma. Yeah. So you got hit by a car. You're bleeding in the middle of the street. I'm not going to, you know, call 911 because that is interrupting your karma. Okay. So if we think like that and act like that, what are the results we're going to get from that kind of action? Not getting the help. Yeah. Not getting the help we need when we need it. Yeah. And having people kind of ridicule us when we're suffering. Okay. So if we really think about karma like this, it is very good to help us um, make wise decisions about what to do and what not to do. Okay, suffering comes as a result of our actions, not as a reward or punishment for them. Since all of us have created destructive karma in this and previous lives, judging others as morally inferior and ourselves as superior is absurd. A person and his actions, also, this is another factor. A person and his actions are different. The action may be harmful, but the person is not evil. Each of us has the potential to become a fully awakened Buddha. So how can we say somebody deserves to suffer? Um, So some people question, Is helping suffering people interfering with their karma? So I gave you the answer before we even came to this paragraph. Uh, (laughs) But the answer is, such thinking is foolish. (laughs) Compassion is the appropriate response to misery. And we should always reach out to aid those who are suffering. The notion of karma must never be used to justify oppression or apathy in the face of problems that can and must be corrected. Okay? If we remain idle, we create the karma not to receive help when we are are in misery. Okay, then the reflection. So this is your homework. I'm hoping you're doing the reflections in the book. 
If you do, you will benefit from them. If you don't, you will not benefit. So it's up to you. Okay, so first, think of some of the good circumstances you have in life. For example, health, sufficient wealth, family, education, friends, hobbies, satisfying work, opportunities to your Dharma teachings, connection with the monastic Sangha, and so on. So think of the good things in your life. And then think, too, think of the types of actions you must have engaged in during previous lives to create the causes for these excellent circumstances. Because they didn't just come about by accident. And then three, rejoice at the virtue you created and make a strong determination to engage in virtuous activities in this life to make preparation for good future lives where you will be able to continue your Dharma studies and practices. Mm -hmm. Okay, so for example, when you're asked to give a BBC talk or to lead a meditation or whatever, um, you know, if you know that you have the skills, you should see that as an opportunity, yeah, to repay the kindness of others and to create the cause to receive teachings yourself in the future. So by helping others in the Dharma, even in small ways, to meet the Dharma, encounter the Dharma, you know, then you're creating the cause to receive teachings yourself. And, you know, we know that teachings are the essential first step to realizations. Yeah, realizations are not going to come before uh, listening and studying the Buddhist teachings. Yeah, because remember, there's the wisdom arising from hearing or studying, arising from uh, reflecting or thinking, and then ref uh, arising from meditation. Okay. So now the next topic is definite and indefinite karma. This is sometimes translated as certain and uncertain karma. Yeah, and the, the, the terms are, can be a little bit confusing. So, you know, listen carefully. So some actions are definite uh, to produce a result unless that karmic seed is impeded from ripening. Okay, so we can impede seeds of negative karma, we can impede seeds of positive karma. Okay. Other actions uh, are indefinite in that their producing a result is not certain. Okay. Now, not certain doesn't mean that they will never produce a result. Okay. So the Yogacarya Bhuma, Levels of Yogic Deeds, explains, karma whose results are definite to be experienced are actions that are consciously done and, and accumulated. Karma whose results are not definite to be experienced are actions that are consciously done but not accumulated. Okay, so here's other two more terms, okay? done and accumulated. 
and they have specific meanings. Yeah. So definite karma are actions that have been done and accumulated. So both things, done and accumulated. Their results are certain to be experienced unless they are purified in the case of destructive actions or impeded by anger or wrong views in the case of constructive actions. So they're definite to bring a result, but they aren't cast in concrete because other factors can influence them and cut their potency. Okay? So actions that are done, yeah, done means that we consciously thought about or set into mo- something into motion physically or verbally. Okay? So it's an action, a verbal or physical action, that we consciously have done and set into, into motion. So that's what done means. Accumulated means that we had an intention to act. Okay? So we had the intention, an intention to do an action. It doesn't necessarily mean we did that action. Okay? But we had the intention to. So all virtuous and non-virtuous mental actions are accumulated. Okay? So when we think of covetousness, uh, malice, and wrong views, those are all... um, mental actions that are accumulated in the same way as non-covetousness, non-maliciousness, and correct views are uh, also actions that are uh, mental actions that are accumulated. Okay, because we had the intention to develop those thoughts. Because remember, the mental actions aren't just one small thought going in your mind. It's you had that small, that thought, and then you developed it to the point where you really want to act on it, but you haven't acted on it yet. Okay? So it is not certain that results will be experienced from actions that have not been both done and accumulated. So the four possibilities between done and accumulated are given below, together with examples. Well, okay, uh, we just explained the one of done and accumulated, because those are the definite karmas. Okay, so then, so here we have 4P. Yeah, see, debating... The debating class helps you. Okay, so then the second one is karma that's done but not accumulated. So these are the ten following actions. Okay, so they are not certain to bring results, so they fall in in the class of indefinite karma. Okay. Um, uh, They are not certain to bring results. Their motivation is weak or the motivation has changed since the time the action was done. Maybe they uh, regretted what they did. Okay. But almost all other actions aside from these 10 are accumulated karma. 
meaning that there was the uh, intention to act. So here we can see the great impact of uh, motivation has on our actions and their results. So here are the 10 of karma that were done but not accumulated. Okay, so so the first one is actions done in dreams. Now you might say, but we didn't do the action. We just dreamed we did it. But this is an action done in a dream. So it's not talking about whether you really did it. It's talking about whether you dreamed you did it. So it's an action done in a dream. That's kind of like one noun, yeah? So we dream of making offerings to the Buddha or of killing an enemy. If upon waking, waking, we rejoice at virtuous actions in a dream, we create virtuous mental karma. If we regret them, the karma is non-virtuous. Rejoicing at destructive actions in a dream creates non-virtuous mental karma. Regretting those actions and making a strong determination not to do them in waking life is virtuous mental karma. Okay, so yeah, the actions were that were done in dreams. Yeah, we didn't actually do them. Yeah, uh, and we didn't really, you know, have a real motivation because, again, it was a dream motivation and a dream action. So the karma we create from what we dream depends on how we react and respond to that dream when we wake up. Yeah, so if you've been having a feud with somebody and feeling like you're just getting overwhelmed by their negativity, and in your dream, you dream that you fight back and you clobber them and you smash them, and you wake up and you say, oh, I feel really good. I stood up for myself and I clobbered that guy. Okay, at that point, because of your thought, you create negative karma. Yeah, because you're rejoicing in what you did in the dream. If you wake up and you say, oh, I really regret that, even though it's not a real action that I did still, you know, in a dream, I don't want to have dreams like that, whether in a dream or waking life, I don't want to have those kind of thoughts or do those kind of actions towards other people. Then if you think like that, uh, you're creating virtuous karma. Okay. Similarly, if you, uh, you know, you dream that you won the lottery and then you gave it all away and you wake up and you have deep regret, uh, then that's non-virtuous. <laughs> yeah. But if you uh, think, oh, I gave it all away and I helped so many people by giving it away, then you create some virtue. Okay. So karma done, but not accumulated. So those actions and dreams, there was no intention, you know. You may have done the action in the dream, but there was no actual intention to do it. Okay, second one is actions done unknowingly. So example, believing the art supplies on the table are for everyone to use. We take them without knowing that they in fact belong to a particular person. Okay, so... 
we did do an action, yeah, the karma was done, but it wasn't accumulated because we had no intention to steal or deprive that person of their belongings. Okay. Third one is actions done unconsciously. We accidentally step on an insect without any conscious intention. Again, we did an action, but we didn't have an intention when we did it. It was accidental. Actions done without intensity or continuity. <clears throat> so uh, an example is we offhandedly utter a few words of idle talk or we chit-chat for a short time. You know, so chit-chatting about the weather and, you know, this kind of stuff is, um, it's chit-chat, it's an action that was done, but we don't have a lot of intensity or in it, you know, we're just like chit-chatting, and there's no uh, continuity, because it's not like we're, you know, talk for a half an hour about that, it's just a short time. So there's, again, no... Uh, a strong intention to, to engage in that action. Number five is actions done mistakenly. So someone wishes to steal a book, but steals a box instead. Someone wishes to praise one person, but mistakenly praises another person. So an action was done, but the object was misidentified. Okay, and so the person did not have the intention to steal the box, and they did not have the intention to steal that person, uh, to praise that person. So again, it's lacking an intention. It's a karma done, but not accumulated. Okay, five, uh, no, six. Actions done forgetfully. So we tell a friend that we will not share his comments with others, but forgetting that we said this, we tell others. That person's going to love us afterwards, huh? Okay. So um, we really meant it when we said, oh, you know, I won't tell this to other people. But then we're, we're spaced out and we forgot that we said that. Yeah. So there was no real intention we weren't thinking, oh, I'm going to break somebody else's trust. But even though the action happened. Okay, then actions done unwillingly. So someone has no wish to kill another person, but is forced at gunpoint to do so. So we read situations. Um, often when people are cap prisoners of uh, war are captured and they are tortured, they may be asked to do actions that are harmful to their fellow prisoners of war. You know, they don't want to help those, harm those people. They're their friends and comrades. But somebody's holding a gun to their, their head and forcing them to do it. Yeah. So from their side, they didn't have much of an intention. You know, when I look at this, they must have had some intention when they fired the gun, but it's not a, a real intention because they didn't want to really harm their friend, you know, like that. Okay, 
So actions done unwillingly. Somebody makes you come to meditation when you really don't want to. Okay. So you go to meditation and you're sitting there and grumble, 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 grumble. Yeah. So you don't accumulate any good karma, any virtue from from do it, doing it because somebody made you go to the meditation hall. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes people feel that way, don't they? Yeah? They feel that way. When I lived in, in uh, the Italian Dharma Center, I had to go wake up some people in the morning to get them to go to the, the meditation. You know, because Lama had said, all Sangha goes to the meditations in the morning. And they weren't there, and then I had to go pound on the door and get them out of bed. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the, the, sometimes they drag themselves to, to uh, session when I did that. Other times they told me, beep, 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 beep. I won't even pronounce the words. Um, You know, and that was it. (laughs) Okay. But even if they went, you know, if if you go to meditation, oh, this nun, she woke me up in the morning and she's making me go meditate, you know, I want to sleep late and it's my individual right and freedom to sleep late because I didn't get enough sleep last night because well that doesn't matter what I was doing but I didn't get enough sleep (laughs) okay then (laughs) number eight is actions that are ethically neutral so walking sleeping reading driving cycling eating sleeping we do all sorts of actions without much intention, okay? So those actions are done. Yeah, the floor is swept, but there's not, they aren't accumulated. There's no intention to, to you know, to do them. You're just automatically doing them. So this is where the mind training practice comes in because this is the point where you can tra- change all those neutral actions into virtuous ones, okay? And so we do that by, you know, thinking that we're, you know, helping other sentient beings in one way or another. Or when you go for full ordination, you have to memorize all the, um, was that full ordination you had to? Yeah, you had to memorize uh, all the gatas in the Chinese tradition, Venerable Jampa, Memorized all of them. I think you got a prize when, for reciting them, huh? Uh, so it's, you know, and but then if you memorize them, then when you're doing these daily life activities, you remember to think that way. So then you're transforming a neutral action into something virtuous. Okay, actions eradicated through regret. So although in general we speak truthfully we lie to someone and later have strong regret. Yeah, that's probably happened to everybody. Hopefully we generally speak truthfully, but then, uh, you know, we 
said something that wasn't so true, uh, and then we really regretted afterwards. So again, the, uh, the action was done, but it wasn't accumulated because the intention was weakened by the regret. And then the tenth is actions eradicated with a remedy. So seeing the disadvantages of killing, we no longer wish to go fishing, hunting, or take the life of any living being, and we take a precept to abandon killing. Alternatively, we weaken worldly attachments by attaining the dhyanas, the deep meditation states, or eradicate the seeds of those destructive actions by directly perceiving emptiness. Okay, so again, we did certain actions, but they are being counteracted with a remedy. So in the case of non-virtue, the remedy of having regret and taking a precept, okay, or developing your concentration to an extent where you can suppress the afflictions, or eradicating the seeds of those karmas, of those destructive karmas, by realizing emptiness. Okay? So we've done the karma that is done and accumulated, karma that's done but not accumulated. Okay? I think we had, oh, yeah. Then the third one is karma that is both done and accumulated. So these are the main causes producing a rebirth, and they are not included in the 10 actions above. In general, their four branches are complete, and their result is certain to be experienced. What are the four branches of a complete action? Identifying the object. The attitude, and the attitude has three parts, which are recognizing the object correctly, the motivation, and the affliction, or in the case of virtuous karma, the virtuous mental factor. Okay. Then the third of the four, performing the action, and then completion of the action. Okay, so good to remember those. Yeah. So um, a homework assignment, yeah, for next week. Watch your actions and just, you know, take actions that you've done and describe them in terms of the four, uh, you know, the four parts of a full action to evaluate them. Look at them, so that's one thing. Then look at those same actions in terms of the factors that make the actions heavy or light. Okay? And then third, look at those actions in terms of um, whether they're going to be uh, any, you know, which of these four alternatives uh, they're going to be. Okay? So take five actions that you do in the next week and, and write it out, yeah? And, uh, and see how it affects your mind to, to pay that kind of close attention to your actions and to investigate each action uh, 
you know, very carefully like that. So you can do that in your meditation session and then write it out after, after your session or, you know, do it when you're eating lunch or yeah, plenty of time to think about these things. Okay, so um, these karmas have six characteristics, the ones that are both done and accumulated. So first characteristic, the action is done deliberately, not impulsively, not cohesively against our will. So consciously, deliberately. Second, all action, all parts of the action are complete. So this eliminates situations such as trying to kill someone but only injuring them or thinking to attend Dharma teachings but not going. Then the third uh, factor, yeah, is we do not regret the action afterwards. Fourth, no antidote is applied to purify the karma. So you can see how these factors of a karma that is both done and accumulated, how they differ from the factors of the karma that is done but not accumulated. You can see how they differ from each other. Okay. Fifth, we rejoice at having done the action. And sixth, the result, it's a definite karma, is certain to be experienced. Okay, so we're going to stop here. We still have one of the four left, but it's getting late. One or two questions? Whoa, okay. Yeah, you and then you. I was thinking that uh, actions done due to mental illness Mm. could be included because in the Vinaya, um, you Mm -hmm. know, monastics are not like, held accountable for actions they do due to mental illness yeah so if somebody has that mental illness and you know they're they're it's not a clear intention in their mind because of the confusion or because they're hallucinating or something yeah then that would be what kind would that be Mm. of these the four Oh, it would be the um, not accumulated, done but not accumulated. Yeah, and I was done, trying to pick out which one, maybe unconsciously or unknowingly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's the one of the, the karma mm-hmm. done but not accumulated. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like which are the ten? Yeah, like the ten. I was wondering if you could speak a little bit. The ninth and tenth ones, the regret and the remedy, seem mm-hmm. similar to purification, but that's not all of purification. So mm-hmm. could you distinguish the difference between or the similarities of a done and not accumulated versus a purified karma? Mm. I think that there's probably going to be some overlapping because there's degrees of purification and so there's going to be degrees in which uh, the action, the intention of the action is worn away. Yeah. The actions done unknowingly and unconsciously seem very similar. Yeah. Um, how, how do you sort them out? Then? Yeah. Um, one, unconsciously, is you're just operating on automatic. 
unknowingly is like accidental. So you sweep the floor, you're just operating on, on, you know, oh, it's time for me to do my chores, so I sweep the floor. Yeah? Um, so, so that's kind of the, the forget, forgetful one. Oh, no, you were unconscious. Okay, sorry. Okay, so the unconscious one, you lack a conscious intention. Unknowingly is you do have the intention to take the art supplies, but you didn't know that they weren't up for grabs for everybody. I thought stealing uh, is taking stuff that is not given. The art supplies weren't given. Isn't that stealing? That's, but see, you didn't know that the art supplies weren't given. So it, the, it was the action of taking it was done. Yeah. So you could say it was stolen, but it wasn't fulfilling all four parts of the, the karma of stealing because if the person had known that the art supplies were not freely offered, they wouldn't have, have taken them. Okay, next okay. question. Uh -huh. To break a precept, does the action have to be done and accumulated? Uh, yes. Most of them, to, most to bring, need both. There's some in our bodhisattva uh, precepts that where the, um, you just have to have this thought, you don't have to do a physical or verbal action. Yeah. But in the Pratimoksha uh, precepts, something has to be done verbally or, or physically. Okay, so we'll stop for tonight. Remember your homework? It, it will be very helpful to you, you know, to do this kind of analysis. It will be very helpful. <laughs>